Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's rising agent is Teresa Stiano with Prudential Douglas Elliman in New York, New York. Last year, Teresa closed 44 transactions with a total sales volume of $7.9 million. Her average price was $179,000. were buyers and 50% were sellers. She operates as an individual agent, a sole practitioner. Last year, Teresa focused on the co-op market in Queens, New York. She specialized in listing for sale by owners and working with first-time home buyers. Six weeks prior to the interview, Teresa moved to Manhattan to refocus her career on the upper-end luxury market. This interview will focus on her accomplishments working in Queens and will briefly touch base on her transition to Manhattan. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Teresa. Hi, thank you. It's good to have you. Uh, the first thing that we would like to do is to actually go back a little ways before you got into real estate and, and talk about that pre-agent life. What did you do before you became a real estate agent? Um, well, I was in college um, majoring in business and also selling Mary Kay Cosmetics. Um, I did that full time. And um, so that was also in sales. How long did you do the Mary Kay? Uh, four years. I actually made more money in college uh, doing doing that than, um, you know, most kids because I used to set up a table and uh, put all the girls over for facials and, and makeup consultations. So I used to do that on my lunch break, and I had this whole big briefcase, and, yeah, it was a lot of fun. What were some of the skills that you think you picked up from that, from the college experience, but also this Mary Kay? What, what things did you pick up there that you've now applied in your real estate career? I would say, you know, persistence, just like in any any uh, sales business, I feel that it's always a numbers game, you know, especially when you're starting and, um, you know, being persistent with people, not every person's going to work out, not every deal's going to work out. Um, probably reading people's body language. Um, you know, I'm definitely a people person, so I have that type of personality, which helps me a lot. You know, I'm outgoing, I'm talkative, um, I can be funny. Let's move forward a little bit. You got into real estate. Did you go into real estate straight out of college then? Yes. Why did you choose a career in real estate? You know, everybody asked me this question, and I really don't know. I just decided that I wanted to, um, you know, have my own business. Um, I always liked real estate. My grandmother was in real estate. Um, I wasn't really fond of school, so I didn't want to do a lot of school. And um, I just kind of really fell into real estate. I don't really have a great story for it. When you first got into the business, do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? Um, I had a fast start in a way because I came in in the height of the market you know, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, I worked a lot of buyers with, I was with a small company. So, you know, the buyers would come, I would bring buyers out or do an open house and the lines were down the block around the corner. You know, you have 15, 20 offers. Um, so it was a whole different type of market for about the first year and a half. 
what did you do to get things started? Was it was it mainly open houses and working with buyers in those early years? Yes, I started with a, a very small company, like a mom and pop, and um, I, you know, he said as long as you come into the office in the morning, you could have all the phone calls. So I just really sat there and got all the phone calls and brought buyers out to um, all the other agents' listings and did uh, open houses for some of the other agents, and that's really what I did. I just started with buyers. And then I would, you know, spin them off to all the other homes in the area. I actually didn't even have a car, so everything was pretty close to me. I worked in Belrose. It's kind of a small area. Um, so, you know, I would, I would be able to walk to different um, houses and then meet them there and, you know, jump into their car after that. But, you know, it all, it all worked out after. You started off as a green agent. Green for the environment. <laughs> it <was just> broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it worked out well, uh, and you had a nice quick start. Let's talk about last year uh, where you had your 44 closings. Uh, do you have a niche or a specialization that you were focusing on? In last year, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of co-ops. Um, you know, when the market shifted, a lot of uh, first-time buyers were coming. You know, a lot of houses were not going um, as fast, uh, I decided to, especially being that I always wanted to move forward into Manhattan, learning the co-op condo market. Um, so I did a lot of first-time buyers buying, you know, their first co-op, which were, you know, smaller price points, but they were what was moving. How did you find these first-time home buyers in Queens? I did a lot of um, for sale by owners. I used a program called Land Voice. And I probably got about 80% of my listings through Landvoice, um, which were for sale by owners. I called, called, called. I'd be at the office till sometimes 9, 10 o'clock at night. And um, it was it's a numbers game. I mean, I did a lot of calls and following up and meeting with them. Sometimes it would be a two-stop, you know, listing appointment and then signing them. Um, and that's, other than that, it was, you know, sometimes word of mouth. I started to finally build a referral base. You know, it takes a little bit of time to do that. And um, uh, some expired. And just meeting people from listings that I had, and, you know, they decided they needed to sell to purchase. So it would be getting listings that way as well. You went after the for sale by owner market. And I'm sorry, tell me the name of the company again. It was Land Voice? Mm-hmm. Land Voice is a subscription. Um, I think pretty much you could use them anywhere, but... They pretty much narrow down all of the for sale by owner leads, whether they're from Craigslist, uh, Newsday.com, New York Times. And then what they'll do is they'll send an agent every day, you know, a brief little um, packet on them. You know, what they're asking, where they're from, their phone number, their address. How would you contact the for sale by owner? Would you call them on the phone? Would you go in person? Call them on the phone. Let's do this. Let's do a quick role play. If if you are calling a for sale by owner and I'm the for sale by owner, you called me up. Let's figure out what that sounds like. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hi, is this Craig? Yeah, this is Craig. Hi, Craig. How are you? This is Teresa Stiano with Prudential Douglas Allman. How are you doing today? Oh, great. Thank you. Okay. Craig, the reason I'm calling is I see that you have a property for sale. Is this correct? Oh, yes. Okay, great. Well, I'm wondering, is this property still available? It is. It is. Okay, great. And um, are you working at all with any brokers? No, I mean, we'll probably work with somebody if they have a buyer, but, but we haven't signed up with a broker. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of people say that. Well, let me ask you, if in, let's say, 30 days you haven't sold this property, are you then going to sit down and interview with some agents? Yeah, we probably would consider that. Okay. 
Um, what would it be possible if maybe I came over, say, Wednesday at 6 p.m. or maybe Thursday at 7, just to go over a couple of the marketing materials and preview your property, um, get to know each other, see what your needs are as far as how fast you're looking to move, uh, price points, and um, whatnot? Yeah, I might consider that. Okay, so what works better for you? Thursday at 7? Uh, yeah, I've got time Thursday at 7. Okay, great. I'll see you then. When you go over to that for sale by owner's property, what are you going to do when you get into that appointment? Are you going to present a packet that you've already put together? Are you going to try to go for the listing at that point? Is it just an introductory meeting? What's your goal? Well, first off, you definitely want to see if you even want the listing, especially right now there's um, a lot of unsaleable listings, a lot of overpriced listings. Um, so you definitely want to go over there and, um, you know, make sure that it's, it's, it's priced correctly. And if not, that he'll be, you know, willing to price it. And as far as motivation, um, if the owner is motivated to get, you know, out of there and get going to their next property or out of state, wherever they may be relocating to. And, um, yeah, so I'll go through the property with them. Um, you know, I'm very, I like to have kind of a, um, you know, a good relationship with them as far as, you know, we both connect. And, um, you know, I will go through my marketing presentation and hopefully get them to list, you know, that day. So you do try to get the listing that day? You know, every person is different. You know, some people are, they don't want to, you know, you never know what you're walking into. Some people will sit down and listen and, and you can really, you know, talk them into it and, and show them what, why it's going to benefit them. Um, and other people, you know, they still want to do it on their own and, you know, they want to they wanna wait a bit. But usually when you go through all of your marketing, I mean, it's just true. They can't market it like we do. And, and do they recognize that as you're walking through your presentation? A lot of them. If they don't sign that night, do you do a follow-up? Definitely. I'll follow up with them, you know, probably the next day. And then um, depending on where we're at, you know, it could be once a week, um, every two weeks. How often you're going to contact them? I, I would say pretty much everybody's the same. I definitely would give them sometimes either give them a call the next day or send them some kind of a, a letter, whether it be thank you for the opportunity to meet with you and, um, you know, keep following up with them until I can secure um, another presentation or until they, you know, get a little bit more worn out with um, the craziness of all the buyers. If you get the listing, then you're going to do an open house there and try to attract some buyers. Is that correct? Um. I do do open houses. Uh, they really don't sell the place, I feel. Um, they say actually nationally that I mean, 1% of um, properties do sell during the open house, so it's not really a very high ratio. However, it's a great way to potentially meet new buyers. Um, the owners love it, most of them, and um, you can potentially meet new sellers as well. The new sellers, would those be people from the neighborhood or people that might be interested in that home to have something to sell? Yes. A lot of times before somebody sells their property, they'll go out and see what's around. And if you just make enough conversation with them and they start to uh, open up to you, you'll usually find out that they do have something that's not on the market and they need to get it sold. And that's where you can um, get right into the door. I will definitely do, you know, two to three open houses in the beginning because it's good to promote your listing. And, you know, a lot of people do want to get in and see it. Um, but statistically, it really they don't sell on open houses. I think it's something like one percent. Um, if I do get a seller who, you know, some people they want one every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, four hours, um, definitely sit down with them and, and um, 
you know, you want to be fair. I'll give them an open house once a month, um, but you can't waste your, your weekends, you know, sitting there. Instead, you'll be out trying to find buyers for their house. Did you work on any other niches or groups of targeted people that you were going after? I did a few expireds. Okay. When you went to, to after an expired, how did you uh, find them? Are they in your MLS as expired? Do they have phone numbers there? Or did you have to use a, some type of directory to go find the phone numbers? Did you go in person? How did you contact them? Well, you can actually also use Landvoice for expireds. Um, you export them and you can download them onto the website on an Excel sheet. That's one way. And whitepages.com is another good you know, if you don't want to do the whole program with Land Voice, you can do whitepages.com and put in the address and, you know, probably 60-40% chance that you'll get the phone number. And, you know, a lot of times go up and knock on the door. Usually wait till after 6 o'clock was when I did it. Ah, so you go in the evening. Yes, nobody's home during the day. Do you try to call during the mornings or the evenings, middle of the day? Do you, do you structure your t- call time as well? I used to do a lot of my force of my owner calls at night. Some people do them first thing in the morning. I found that people are usually rushing. You know, they're going to work or they have to bring their kids to school or whatnot. And I just found, you know, after 6 o'clock was when people were home. They were calmer. It was the end of the day. And um, a lot of times I feel like force of my owners get upset and they hang up on you just because they're getting bombarded with calls. And after a while, it's just everybody's saying the same thing. Uh, so... At night was when I did better with my calls. That worked for me. And you said everyone's saying the same thing. There's a lot of calls going on. How did you distinguish yourself with the seller, that for sell by owner? Honestly, a lot of people let me in because they said I was nice. Anything else you're doing to generate leads, to to bring leads in? Networking. Um, On RMLS, we have about 25,000 agents, I think it is. And through our LIBOR, and we do a lot of um, events, we do a lot of charities, um, and you see a lot of the same people, and some of them can be from way out in the island all the way to Manhattan. So really keeping your face out there, um, networking with managers of offices. Um, I'm with Prudential Douglas Elliman, which is a huge company. We have 3,500 agents and about 65 offices. Uh, So, you know, you can definitely get out and network with different people from different offices in different areas. Um, The networking does take time, in my opinion, to benefit. Um, It took about a year before I really started reaping the rewards of it. Um, You know, networking is not a one-stop shop. You know, it's really something that you have to put time in, and it's about building relationships and it doesn't just happen overnight. So you're networking with other agents to generate agent referrals. Yes. Very good. And has that been profitable for you? Has that started to pay off yet? Yes, yes. Have you done any marketing that did not work, that was a failure, and you thought, boy, I, I'm not going to do that again? Yes. You know, there's a lot of these lead programs that they'll call you and they want to sell you leads. Either they're like $60 or they have somewhere it's $300 a month. You know, that kind of stuff didn't work. A lot of times um, I feel some of these websites, they, they fish off of foreclosure websites and they kind of feed these buyers out. So just really do your research and, and be careful of what kind of programs you go into because once you sign that contract, it's kind of hard to get out. Did you get stuck in one of those contracts? Yes, I did. Well, I didn't get stuck, but I had to, you know, pay, I think it was three months, like $900 to get out. And none of those leads panned out? 
No, I would say for any new agent, um, I did Sweat Hogs with Ed Escobar, which was great. I tripled my business in the three months that I did it. I did very, very well, and um, it was it was very good to get your feet going. I did that. I actually took him about three times. Are you marketing on the internet? Yes, of course. And, and what kind of marketing are you doing on the internet? Well, my thing is I'm I'm huge with pictures and staging. Um, I feel that when buyers are looking for a property, they're all looking online first. So it's essential that your pictures look great. Um, floor plans are great as well. So I really consider when they come to see it in person, kind of like the second showing because they've already looked at, looked at it online. So um, I would advise any agents to really take the time to have the house clean, have it decluttered, have it organized, make it look beautiful, get some flowers, put them on the tables. Uh, put some plates out, you know, fancy plates, some china, and, you know, have a professional come in there and take some shots. So you're not taking the pictures yourself. You're having someone else take them. Yes. How many pictures do you think that you're putting out on the Internet for each property that you're trying to market? I would say at least 10. But again, if you have a studio, you know, you might use six or eight pictures uh, compared to, you know, a three-bedroom, three-bathroom home. You're going to use more pictures for that, obviously. So are you trying to take at least one picture of each room? Yes. Do you do any of the virtual tours where where people see a moving picture, a video? I have, yes. Do you like one better than the other, either pictures or a virtual tour? You know, I really feel that the pictures are fine. I think the virtual tours are, um, I don't think they get, I don't think they're as good as a lot of people think they are. I don't really think the buyers really utilize them that much. I see you have a website. How are you generating traffic to your website? Well, you know, my, my website is a corporate website, so we get to put all of our, our listings on there, and, you know, we have our bio or whatnot, and it can link it to Facebook. Uh, but ultimately, as far as um, the people get driven to my listings, I, I do want to make my own website, um, but I haven't gotten around to, to doing one like that. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to call it, and and whatnot. But this is just a corporate website that we have that, you know, draws the buyers to to our page and our listings. Well, that's fantastic. To to close forty four units and to be using the corporate website, that shows that you're really working out there in the in the marketplace. Now you mentioned Facebook. Do you use any type of social media avenues such as Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter? Are are you trying any of those? Yes, I do use um, Facebook. Facebook would be my uh, favorite. I am on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Um, but Facebook is, um, I have a professional and then a you know, personal page as well. I don't think you should combine the both. What exactly is the process of your Facebook advertising? Well, I have all my past and present um, customers and clients on there. Um, as far as if I hear anything in the media, you know, I, I'm blessed to be with a large company, so we will get a lot of headline news um, links as far as anything from New York Times, any kind of magazine articles, and somebody always seems to send it out, which actually is great for me um, because I can take that and post that onto my Facebook page um, so it does let everybody else know too. Um, it gives them information and lets them know that I'm on top of things as well. Um, I have gotten a few referrals from Facebook. Um, it's a great way to stay in contact with mortgage people, um, you know, other agents, your past clients. Uh, you know, new customers. Do you bring all your vendors into that connection? 
Yes, yeah, I would say everybody. You know, my attorneys are on there too on my Facebook page. Well, what kind of system are you using to capture and track these leads as they come in? Well, I have Outlook, so everybody's put into my Outlook. Um, anytime I, I have different mailing lists. Um, I have some expired mailing lists. Um, I have, you know, every time that I sell a property and close it, I switch them onto a different mailing list. So as far as for the holidays, um, on certain people um, that I get their birthdays in there, we'll send out a birthday card and uh, definitely a holiday card at least once a year to be in contact with them. But that's actually something that I want to work on more and get um, better on that um, myself with. Do you use that system to to do a tickler file to tell you when you would send stuff out? Yes. And, um, you know, I have an e-card system. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I can send that to my sphere of influence. And um, then I have like a hard copy, I guess I would say, where I can print out my labels for everybody that I've sold to. So I can mail them uh, usually a holiday card around Christmas or Hanukkah, whichever you celebrate, uh, you know, a seasonal holiday card. So you're doing both electronic medium as well as a hard copy or real-world mail. Yes. Do you use any type of IVR system, like a, a 800 number that's connected to a recorded message? Have you done any of that kind of marketing? I have not, and but I have heard of it, and I know people who use it. Again, to me, that was a lot of um, warm leads, as they would call them. Um, I've tried that before, which is where I kind of got in trouble there because a lot of the leads that they were sending me, they just were not, you know, serious. They were not ready to make a move. Either they were just wanted to be nosy and see what their house was worth. Um, some of them were already on the market. Um, some of them were actually nosy neighbors or realtors. Um, you know, to each his own. But to me, that I, it didn't work for me. So you prefer to make the leads jump through the hoop of having to call you directly on a direct line. Is, is that correct? Well, the 1-800 number, you're saying that's when people put in advertising stating, you know, find out how much your home is worth. They call them. Yes. Those kind of leads I just feel are warm leads. Um, I want to, I go after leads that are ready to go right away. I don't want to wait six months to get them. On occasions you do. Um, but I want to go with people that are, you know, for sale by owner who's ready to make a move now on most cases, you know, an expired listing who came off the market. Um, and usually, Either an expired, in my opinion, either an expired listing didn't sell, um, whether the agent, you know, just didn't do right by him, or he was overpriced. And if they definitely need to sell on the second time around, you know, are usually more amped to listen to you and reduce their price um, at that point. You prefer to go out to the prospect and be proactive rather than waiting for prospects to come to you. Is that correct? Definitely. We talked a little bit about follow-up earlier. Do you have a set system where you want to follow up with people a certain number of days? Do you have a schedule that you try to use for follow-up? You know what? Everybody's different. Usually when I'm speaking to them, um, we say when we're going to follow up, and then I'll just plug that into my calendar to remind me, and then I'll call them. That's really how I do that. So you ask the prospect when to call back, and then you just call back on that date? Yes. I put it right into my calendar before I forget, and um, it'll alert me at the time, and then I'll call them. Do you ever call them a couple of days before they told you, or do you call them on that day that they, they asked you to call? I call them usually on the day that they asked you know, me to call. Do you ever send out postcards to your follow-up? Um, 
I send out after I send out just sold postcards after I sell and at times just listed postcards. Um, as far as after I go for an interview, if I haven't listed the property that night, I send them a letter that's pretty much called "Thank you for the interview." Um, and as far as postcard mailing, you know, I don't know. To me, I've tried it; it really wasn't working. These for sale by owners and expireds. Do you do you ever try to get their email address and send them email as well, or do you focus more on the phone call and then this letter? I definitely try to get their email, and usually they prefer to give you that than their address. So then do you have an email program set up to send them out contacts, some kind of pre-planned system, or do you just play it by ear based on how your conversation goes? I do play it by ear as far as how my conversation goes, um, but I also, if I'm connecting with somebody, I'll send them over you know, via email a pre-listing package just to kind of go over um, myself, um, and certain marketing things that we do, but it's very minimal. Um, and then I'll bring the big shebang for when I go in. Let's get into those sellers a little more. And what was your number one source for seller business last year? For sale by owners, um, and then referrals, and then expired. Why would a seller hire you? What is your competitive advantage? What benefit do you offer the seller? I'm extremely passionate. I love what I do. I, I live real estate, uh, number one. And number two, as far as I know what other companies are doing as far as marketing, and we do that plus more. So as far as what we can offer, it's there. And um, me, I, I know I'm a great agent, and I work very hard to get the job done. I'm very serious about what I do. And they see that. They see that passion in you. When you want to set a listing appointment, do you qualify the seller over the phone before you go, or do you qualify them when you get there? Um, to a certain extent, over the phone. Um, you definitely want to make sure. Um, well, there's a couple things you want to do. Right now, see, the other thing is, especially with um, Queens, there's a lot of co-ops. Um, you definitely want to know the complex. Um, and if you have a mortgage person that you work closely with, you want to give him that address and make sure the financials of the building um, are okay and the building's financeable because that's a big problem that um, I've run into and I know other agents have run into, um, not just qualifying the seller but also qualifying the building. Um, as far as the seller, um, you want to make sure, you know, you, sh you should usually ask them, you know, how long ago did you purchase your property? Because um, a lot of people that did buy kind of bought in, you know, the height or they don't have much equity. So a lot of times you'll find out um, that this person maybe bought it at this price, put this amount of money into it, and with all fees, they're not even going to break even or they're going to be losing money. So, um, you know, you definitely want to try to eliminate those type of people that, I shouldn't say those type, you know, people that are, are very up to their neck, where they don't really have any. How long do you try to set that initial appointment for? I'll say about a half an hour, but I'm usually there. By the time I get there and we sit down and, you know, they usually offer coffee or water, you know, before you know it, you'll be in there for about at least an hour. Do you try to time block your appointments? And what I mean by that is do you have it in your mind that you only go on appointments Thursday at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock or Tuesday at 10 or noon, 
and you try to plug them in, you plug your appointments into those blocks, or do you work with the customer and try to work with whatever their schedule is? I definitely work with their schedule. Okay, so you're very flexible. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned before you send out a pre-listing package. Do you send that before your appointment? Yes. What is inside this pre-listing package? The brief of pretty much a, a rundown of myself, my bio, um, what kind, a little bit of the marketing that I'll do, and um, about my company, you know, who I work for. How is that package delivered? I can mail it out. Um, a lot of times if... I get their email address, I'll email that to them. Another thing I was going to say about qualifying the sellers is um, the last thing you kind of want to do is go with the seller who says, you know, um, well, I don't need to sell and um, I'm going to get what I want or I'll sit here for three years. I mean, that's not the seller you really want to spin your wheels for. You know, you want to deal with people that need to move, want to move, and um, are going to price it correctly. So what do you do if a seller says, oh, I'm not going to sell unless I get my price? Well, if their price is unrealistic, walk away because you're just going to waste your time. This is the only business where we really don't get paid until after all the work is done. You know, so in that time, you're still driving around, you're spending your time, your money, your, you know, gas, working on this. And um, if it's overpriced, it's not going to sell. It's just not going to sell. And I've done it. I've taken the overpriced listings and I've learned from my mistakes. Let's talk about your listing presentation. Do you use a canned or a standard listing presentation each time? Um, well, I have a PowerPoint. Um, my company provides us with a PowerPoint presentation. Um, however, I've customized that. Um, I've left a couple of their slicks, and I've kind of made it a little bit fancier as far as spinning around. And, and then I've added in my own things. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. So you bring your laptop to the appointment and you pull that open and you start going through a presentation? Yes. How long is your listing presentation? I would say 20 minutes. About 20 minutes? You mean from the time I talk about everything that I do, I would, you know, I'd say about 20 minutes. The canned presentation is about 20 minutes. And how long do you think you're often in the house if you, from the, from the moment you uh, step in the door to the minute you walk out with the listing, how long are you usually there? I've been there 10 minutes and I've been there two hours. It really depends on average, I would say about an hour. Do you do these presentations at the seller's home, at your office, or over the phone? I do them 95% of the time. I do them at the seller's home. Walk through just a real quick sequence of what happens when you go on a listing presentation. You ring the doorbell. They open the door. What what happens? You walk in and say hi, and then what? I walk in, I say hi, I introduce myself. Um, very friendly. I usually give them a compliment right away on something I see, uh, whether it be her shirt or a picture on the wall, um, just to kind of break the ice. And um, I really try to walk, you know, I ask them to show me the home and really try to walk through with them and 
learn about the home, ask them as many questions as I need to, and at the same time kind of build some sort of comfort level relationship there as we're walking through. You know, a lot of people are intimidated by realtors. We just we don't have a good name. <laughs> they always have their, their guard up, uh, especially when you're dealing with a for sale by owner. Um, so, you know, definitely want to make some sort of um, a comfort level there. Do you try to do a tour of the home first? Yes, I'll come in and, um, you know, ask them if I can put my stuff down, um, usually at the kitchen table. And I say, so why don't you guys uh, show me around? And they usually take the initiative. And then you try to bring them back to that kitchen table? Yes. And, you know, there's so many different type of personalities. You know, you kind of kind of figure out, you know, who, which one they are as you're walking through the home. Who's the decision maker, whether it's the husband or the wife. And um, they say there's four types of uh, personalities. And there's the driver, <clears throat> who is the person who is the control freak. Um, they want to know everything. They want to be involved in everything. Then there's the expressive, who is the one that usually says, oh, my God, my house is the best. And they're usually the most fun. Um, they have a lot of energy. They want to be involved. And then you have the analyticals, who are very by the book. They want to see everything. They want to see every comp out there. They want to see every expired listing, everything that's on the market. Um, in my opinion, you can usually tell them in the basement if they have all of their nuts and bolts in um you know, little glass jars, everything's very organized. Um, so you kind of want to feel out that different personality and kind of mirror that image in a way, you know, not to sound, we are actors and actresses in a lot of ways. So, you know, that's a big thing I would say that you want to distinguish uh, when you get in there. What type of personality are you dealing with? Once you determine that you get back to the table, do you launch right into your presentation or do you have a series of questions that you ask? I definitely go through questions as far as how new, you know, certain things are. How new is your kitchen? When was your kitchen renovated? Um, your roof? Um, any questions I might have about the property? Sometimes as you're walking through, you might see something, whether it be a crack in the wall or, you know, something going on in the ceiling somewhere. And, um... I'll also go into how soon do you guys want to move, you know, kind of talk about their new place, where they're going, um, the excitement of that, um, to, you know, get them excited also. And then I'll go right into my presentation. How do you handle the seller who has a price objection, doesn't believe that the price is, is what you think it is? Well, you really have to be able to prove it to them. I mean, you have to comp out a home or, you know, a co-op to what your, you know, what those other sales are as far as, um, you know, showing them the pictures of the other places so they can see that they're kind of in the same condition. And um, lot sizes, interior square feet. Again, if, first of all, the buyers have so much access to everything right now, they know what has sold. Um, and they can find all of this information out as well. And again, even if you were to sell that property $100,000 over the asking price, it's not going to appraise, bottom line. So all you can do is provide him, you could provide the owner with the comps and tell them where you feel the house is going to sell. And if they, some people, everybody's different. Some people, for instance, will say, well, listen, um, let's do it for the first 30 days 
or the first two weeks and leave it at this price. And if we don't get anybody, uh, we'll reduce the price. You know, I feel if you're not getting two showings, at least two or three showings a week, your house is not priced right. I also have different charts to kind of show statistically that when a home is overpriced, um, the foot traffic that you're going to get. Um, and again, if something is priced right, the first 30 days are the most essential of when it'll sell. If it's priced right and there's a lot of activity in that area, your, the property will sell in the first 30 days or else it becomes stale. And so if it doesn't sell in the first 30 days, you're calling them back and, and working on a price reduction? No, no, that depends. I mean, every home is different, but my thing is is that when you list a property, if you price it right and make it look amazing and there's a lot of, a lot of activity in that area, you will get a lot of activity and you probably will sell it in the first 30 days. That's the peak time for a listing. If you look on, on graphs or statistically, the first 30 days is when the most activity is. From there, it drops. So that's one option. Um, but if you have a seller who wants to put it a lot higher than you want to put it, um, it depends. If you like the house, if you like the building, and you want to get your foot in the building, um, you might take that listing. But at the same time, letting them know that if they are not getting the activity in the first two weeks or the first 30 days, um, that they've agreed to reduce the price. You want to have that conversation then. Um, and I suggest if you have the owner who is like, absolutely not, I'm not selling for less than this, or I'll stay here, then I would really just, you know, wish them the best and, and move on with, you know, to another listing. How do you manage the seller's expectation on the time on the market, how long it's going to take to sell? Well, on average, you can see what, in my marketplace, um, average time on the market is 180 days. Um, every property is different. You, you might find a, a hot listing that'll go a lot faster. So you just show the seller the statistics? Yes, I'll show them how many days it was on the market. That's another thing about when you're speaking to them about price. You might have a home, let's just say, it started at 400. Uh, it was on the market for 60 days, and they went to 375. Then it was on the market for another 30 days. Then it went down to 350. You want to show them this and say, and look where it sold. It sold for $320,000 after 180 days or you know, 250 days. How do you manage the seller's expectations about, about condition of the home? You walk in and there's some work that needs to be done. How do you handle that? I will definitely bring, I, I tell them that I'm looking at this property as a buyer would, also as a real estate professional, but also as a buyer will, um, and bring up to them anything that I know the buyers will pick at. Um, if it's fixable, as far as just some spackling and painting, I would definitely advise them to do it. And, you know, but if a home is older, I don't know, right now I just wouldn't advise somebody to pull out kitchens and bathrooms and, you know, dump $20,000 into the house. Um, I think it'd probably be better if you sell it as is. They do need some work. Do you have a list of vendors that can help them with that? Definitely. How do you handle commission objections at the listing? Yeah, that's a that's a fight. <laughs> um, well, again, I, I you know everybody's different in their marketplace. Um, it, some people will just listen to you. They understand the commission, and they'll they will give it to you. And of course, nobody wants to pay you. They always want to pay you less. Um, but again, sometimes I'll break it down to them and show them that there's two, there's a listing agent, a listing broker, a selling broker, and a selling agent. And this gets split up into four different pots. So 
you know, you have to be able to pay these agents out. Let's now talk about once you get the listing, you want to market that listing, get it out there and find a buyer. You must have a system for doing that. What do you do? Well, again, they start by taking the pictures, um, you know, getting somebody in there, making the house look amazing. And I do 95% web marketing, um, which is New York Times, Newsday.com, all of the major websites for real estate. I use them. Um, we also have our MLS system, which currently has about 25,000 agents. So you also give access to all of those agents to sell your properties. And, um, I get, you know, open houses. But, you know, 95% of the time, you know, the I, I would sell them through online advertising. You have your sphere of influence from previous people. What I do is save my open house sheets if I can save um, save them online as far as scanning them. Um, so if I'm, let's just say I'm in Forest Hills and I'm doing a one-bedroom. I have a one-bedroom there. And two months later, I get another one-bedroom. I'll email out a listing or flyer to all of those people on that email address that were at one point looking in Forest Hills for a one-bedroom. So I have a new listing that's very similar to that, and I'll send that out to everybody as well. So you keep a database of the leads, the buyer leads that you've received on other properties that you've been marketing to. And you, even though that property is now, the old property sold, the new property comes in, you can blast out this email to those same buyers. Yeah. Smart. You mentioned you try to pretty up the home. Do you use a professional stager or do you do the staging yourself? Do you ask the seller to stage it? I have used a stager. I, I do work with a stager. She's uh, very good. Um, so, But that, that really is a case-to-case basis. Um, they say only 7% of people can actually visualize um, a home that's not furnished with furniture. Um, staging can be very expensive, so it really depends on the seller um, if they're willing to pay for it. I d- yes, definitely I've gone out there and you know made beds, fixed curtains, um, staged up, decluttered stuff. Um, you know, especially people who have a lot of kids will kind of move stuff all to one side of the room, um, and make it look real pretty before we take that shot, and then move everything to the other side of the room. Um, it, it all depends. But definitely what drives me crazy is when you see um, pictures, for instance, with, you know, just paper plates and everything up on counters, Windexes. I mean, I've even seen pictures of somebody sleeping in a bed of the bedroom. I mean, that's just crazy. And they say clutter eats equity, you know, when a house is full of clutter. So try to get as much stuff out as you can, if they can. Let's move on to the servicing of your listing. Do you provide showing feedback to your sellers? Yes. How often? Well, every time we have a showing. Um, If I bring a buyer in there, well, this is is how I work. Um, I will try to accompany the showings when I can. Um, as far as for another agent. Sometimes we do send them there on their own, um, and I'll follow up with that agent the next day, see what they thought, and call the owner back. I definitely give them the feedback. You know, you want to know the feedback. You know, they definitely want to know the feedback. So I think that you should, you know, definitely give them a call within 24 hours and at least let them know what they said, what they thought. Um, That's a big thing. I think that if you don't, that will be the first way to start frustrating the homeowners. Okay. So you make a phone call or do you try to send it by email? Do you do both? How do you try to get that feedback back to the seller? 
it's all different ways. You know, once I have a relationship with, like, some, you know, a lot of my sellers, we actually do text. Um, a lot of agents, we do text. Once you have a relationship, I mean, I think that's fine. Um, emails, I can do, too. But I do a lot of either calls or, or texting. When you're servicing this listing, if the if the price is not working out, do you have a, a set time period that you're going to start working on price reductions, like every 30 days or every 60 days? We have an update section of our corporate website where we can actually go into each of our listings. We can put in the dates from, let's say, the first 30 days. And on there, it will give us a graph of every website, Trulia, New York Times, Newsday, Prudential Douglas Elliman, um, Yahoo, and it'll show how many hits we had. Like maybe in the first week we had, you know, 80, then it went to 70, then it went to 60. Now the fourth week we're at five. So we can monitor all this. I can print it. I can email it. And I can put it in front of the seller and say, look, in the beginning we were getting all of this activity, and now we're not getting any. I mean, you usually know when a listing is not getting any attention or not getting any calls. But you can now document it with the number of hits off of each of those electronic mediums. Yes. We have a program that we use, and we can actually um, – I have quite a few of them, actually. But another one that we use, we can actually monitor how many hits were taken and then how many searches her property came up. So let's say, it came, let's say there were 100 searches for a property like hers. Maybe 20 of them her property came up in, but it may be 10 of them they were clicked on. But, I mean, if you're, if you're not getting any activity, and if you are getting a lot of activity and you're not getting any calls, why is that? That's an issue as well. Once an offer comes in, you go into the negotiation phase. What do you do and how do you, how do you talk to your seller when you receive a lowball offer? You know, I get just as mad as they do. Um, when a lowball offer comes in, I mean, I will present it to the owner. We have to present it to the owner. And um, if it's too low, a lot of times we won't counter it. Um, you know, I really will explain to them, try not to get your feathers ruffled. Um, there's a lot of buyers putting in a lot of crazy offers. Do you try to make a counter offer that's, say, back up at full price to give them the opportunity to come back up to you? Or sometimes do you just say, ah, I'm not going to deal with that? I spoke with my seller, and, and we feel that, you know, with this kind of offer, we, we don't want to give you a counteroffer. And um, until your people want to put a realistic offer in, um, you know, you can come back and talk to us. You mentioned before you have a list of contractors or vendors to help you with the work. How did you develop that list of vendors? Through meeting them. I have attorneys. I have engineers. Um, you know, it's very hard, in my opinion, it's very hard to really refer um somebody out to somebody because you want to make sure that you're really referring the right person and if they do something wrong, you know, it'll come back and make you look bad. So I'm very particular about who I work with because I have the circle of people that I do have are, are you know, I would trust them completely. Um, you know, they say you should give two or three referrals of the same business, whether it's, you know, attorneys, you want to give them two or three attorneys so you're not steering any way. When you're in the inspection negotiation, do most of your negotiations end with the work actually being done or some type of cash concession. or credit settlement? We usually give a concession. Unless it's something silly, like, you know, we need a, the, the staircase railing has to be screwed in better. You know, we'll do that 
they'll do that themselves. Do you attend the closings? Yes. Do you do anything special for your seller at that closing? Yes, I always come with um, either I leave it in the apartment um, for the buyers. I'll leave them a nice big gift basket. Um, I have a gift a gift basket lady that I work with, so she's great. She'll usually customize it to um, anything particular. Um, you know, depending on the person, I've I've had you know people who like certain things, and I've kind of decorated it decorated the basket around that. Um, I can really customize it, and she's very open with. Um, you know, shopping around and changing my baskets for me. But definitely, I always give a basket. To both your sellers and your buyers? Uh, Yes, if I've represented both sides, yes. What's your number one source for buyer leads or buyer business? Off of my listings. And and so is that signed calls or open houses? Internet leads, open houses. When you get an internet lead, is the uh, buyer filling out a form that's emailed to you or... Or how are you getting their contact information? Um, usually it's just an email address as far as um, they found it on a website and they'll you know, email me as far as any questions they might have. Um, if it's still available, um, you know, what's, how many square feet is it? So they're asking you particular questions about that listing and that starts the dialogue? Yes. Why do buyers hire you? What's your competitive advantage for a buyer what benefits do you give to a buyer? Right. We don't really do buyer agents in Queens. You don't work I'm working as a seller's agent. Um, I'm representing the seller. Um, I mean, you have a good point there. For instance, um, you know, it, buyers will say to me, um, well, why should I go with you when I can just go with the original listing agent and probably get a better deal? And I tell them, well, actually, if, you know, just so you know, that agent is working for the seller. So their job is to get that seller the most amount of money. Um, they're better off going with another agent. Why should a buyer work with you? Well, hopefully because we like each other. You know, there's a lot of mean agents from what I've heard out there. Uh, So that's one thing. And, you know, why have to go to, why search on the internet all day long, looking, calling different agents, waiting for them to call you back? Why not just deal with one agent? If you like that agent and she's working hard and she's on top of everything for you, we can access everything that they can access. I can schedule the appointments. You know, she works a full-time job, I'm sure, at the buyer. This is my full-time job. You know, I have the connections to call that agent directly. I can call their company. Um, I know what you're looking for. I'll narrow it down. Anything you see, they can email to me, and we'll schedule up all appointments. So all they really have to do is show up at the door. You know, it's a lot less thinking on their aspect, too, plus some fun. Do you try to meet with your buyer before you go out and look at property? Um, Well, I'll pre-qualify them over the phone first. Like if it's a brand new person who I've just met, um, I'll pre-qualify them first. Um, And also depending on if they're buying a co-op or a condo, um, we have strict um, guidelines here for co-ops. Most of them you have to put at least 20% down. You want to make sure that they have credit. So you want them to know that um, they also have to pass a board. you know, you just want to ask them all of the necessary questions because there's a lot of people that you think most people know um, that they're going to need 20% down for a co-op, and they don't. So, um, you know, you want to narrow it down to a, a strong buyer. <clears throat> you don't want to, you don't want to work with anybody who is, you know, barely able to get a mortgage, um, doesn't have a good down payment, 
you know, doesn't really know where they want to live. They want to live in 15 different areas. Um, that's in my opinion. Um, you know, I want to work with somebody who is a tough buyer. They have a good down payment. They have good credit. They know what they want, and they're ready to make a move. Do you have your lender contact the buyer before you meet to do some type of financial prequalification, or are you doing the financial prequalification over the phone? Um, well, I'll ask them. I'll ask them basic questions as far as um, how their credit is. Um, you know, do they have anything to sell before they purchase? Uh, how much of a down payment they're going to put down? Have they been prequalified through a mortgage um, person yet? Um, you know, usually a lot of people, you know, sometimes they can be very hesitant. It, it depends if it's somebody that was referred to me. Um, if it's just somebody calling, sometimes they could be a little bit more hesitant to provide everything. Um, what I will do if um, if I feel comfortable, I'll definitely take them out for one time and show them like three properties, even if they haven't. If they can answer everything correctly, um, that they're okay, that I feel that they'd be able to get a mortgage, um, I might take them out, you know, one time and show them a couple properties, um, but with the agreement that definitely after they have to get pre-qualified and get me a copy of it. Okay. So you don't make it a requirement of going on a showing for that first time, but you do for your second outing? Yes. I assume your first meeting with a buyer is at the property? Yes. But again, I'm not as personal with the buyers. Um, I try to qualify them to the best of my ability. Um, and I'll show them everything that's on the market. But, um, you know, if they really, you know, are not putting in any offers or, or not going forward, I mean, after I show them, you know, 10 to 15 properties um, and really have listened to what they want and found them what they want and they haven't bought anything, I mean, I'll usually drop them. There's just so many lookers. You have to, you can't waste your time. But I'll qualify them as far as, you know, how soon do you want to be moved in there? Um, you know, and if everybody's, if they're saying the right things, you know, they want to be in there and I really found them what they like, but, or they put in a bad offer, um, you know, those kind of things will, will turn me off and, you know, you don't want to run around. I've done that before too. Um, and you run around with somebody and you think they're a great buyer and then, you know, it's six months later, they still haven't buy, bought and then they decide to buy something in Florida. Do you work by yourself or with a team? I work by myself. With Queens, um, this is my situation. I was in Queens for six, five and a half years. About a month and a half ago, after the 30 under 30, I threw the towel in Queens and just gave out all of my listings. And I am now in the city, in Manhattan, working. Now Manhattan's a total other another animal. Um, I have joined a team in the city um, with three other people on it. And the woman's been 30 years in the business, and she's really, really good. Um, so I'm on a team in the city right now because it's completely different, and I'm completely new, and it's you know it's a hard adjustment to make. Um, but looking forward to having my own team, you know, one day. That's awesome. So you've joined up with a team, and are are you acting in a certain capacity? Are you a buyer's agent or a listing agent or a, a transaction manager? Do you have a title or do you just do everything? How does it work? Well, I'm kind of back to basics here. I'm, I'm doing the FISBOs for sale by owners um, here in the city. It's completely different. There are not very many of them. Um, you know, over here, there's a lot of uh, buildings with doormen. So it's not like, you know, you could go and knock on the door. 
Um, it's a total different animal, Manhattan. Um, but, you know, my team specializes in 5 to $12 million properties. I am, you know, helping with open houses. I just got my first accepted offer with a buyer here for a property. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. But now I'm kind of starting again from, from basics and the bottom. The contract you put together, what's your price point on it? Well, it's 700 So you've moved your price point up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. I want to go quite a bit higher. <laughs> and that's your objective is to move into the luxury market. Yes, yes. I just did an open house over the weekend for a $5.8 million property. Absolutely amazing. Do people show up? Yes. It's actually in the same building as Nicole Kidman. Yes. It's one of the girls from my team's uh, listing. But it's beautiful. Well, you're getting a fast start again. That's awesome. Uh, but let's stick with last year. And let's talk about technology. What do you use from the technology side? Um, definitely use a BlackBerry. Um, I have all my email accounts there. I do an essential amount of online marketing. Um, I'm into the e-cards. Sounds like your primary computer program is uh, Outlook? Outlook, yes. So you don't use a system like Top Producer or Agent no. 2000 or any of those? Okay. To close 44 units on your own, you must have some pretty amazing organizational skills and you must use a lot of systems. Uh, did you use systems in your business? Yes. Um, actually, I'm, I'm, that's one of my uh, downfalls. I'm not very organized, but you have to be in this business. Um, but it just kind of works for me. Um, I'm really big on the things to do list. I make one every night before I leave. Um, this way I know for the next day anything that needs to be done right away. Um, but I do, you know, I just pretty much keep everything organized as far as filing everything. Um, you know, my contract information, I have a sheet that I put both attorneys, agents, uh, seller, buyer, prices, and contract information so I can constantly, appraiser, um, engineer, so I can constantly follow up if I need to throughout the transaction. And um, usually Mondays are the days where I like to call all my sellers and let them know what's going on and um, follow up on anything that I need to. But it's a lot of running around. It, you know, it's definitely... It's hard to make plans. <laughs> also sounds like you've got a pretty good time management system. You say you're not organized, but I, I've got to assume you, you manage your time well. How do you do that? Um, Outlook and, um, you know, I have everything stored into my BlackBerry. Yeah, if it wasn't for, for those kind of programs, I wouldn't know where I was going. <laughs> it's, you know, it's really true. And my biggest thing is the minute it pops into my head or I make an appointment or, you know, have to send something, I, I put that into my schedule right away because as fast as it comes in your head, it could come out, in my opinion, in this, this business because some phone call will come in. and So you just definitely have to keep everything written down and I put everything into my BlackBerry, into my calendar or into my Outlook so it reminds me of everything. How do you keep a balance in your life? I'm working on that. How many hours do you think you work in a typical week? 80. You know, but again, I'm I'm striving to get somewhere in my business that, you know, once I get there, we'll hopefully be able to take more time out and, and divvy out stuff to other people. Um, but for right now, I'm, you know, I'm actively pursuing everything, you know, for myself. So, you know, some, they do say you need to definitely take time and smell, smell the fresh air. I do believe that. Um, but, you know, it's sometimes hard to do.
And I enjoy it, you know. I I enjoy what I do. And it's it's not all work, you know. You you go to networking events after night after work, or you go to uh, broker open houses. They have a lot of them in the city here, where they have you know sushi and wine, um, and you can see these beautiful beautiful properties. Um, so you know that's fun also. Uh, do you have a standard schedule? I roll with what comes up, um, but Mondays is definitely my day to really go through all my files and contracts and see you know, follow up with everybody and see where we are. Do you put together a business plan each year? I do, yeah. And then do you rewrite it once a year, once a month, or how often? Um, Sometimes every 60 days. I mean, not 60 days, six months. Um, You know, as I start to check off, and I keep it right in front of my desk. Um, So as I start to check off stuff that I accomplished, then I'll I'll rewrite it. And no matter what you accomplish, you always get more stuff that you want to do. And are there certain categories in that business plan that you like to focus on? Um, well, for right now, actually, I have, you know, my goals for the next 90 days. Um, and it was one listing for the first month, one contract, and one buyer. Um, but again, I'm in a new area. Um, you know, I definitely, I want to start getting above the million dollars. So for June here, I have uh, one listing over a million and three buyers. Um, I'm also learning the buildings I have here. I'm trying to learn a building a week in Manhattan. As far as the units, the price points, the price per square foot, um, what's on the market in there, uh, doorman, what kind of amenities it has, you know, learning all of your marketplace. And how are you trying to contact the people in those buildings? Are you trying to do a direct mail campaign or how are you going to get in there with that doorman? Um, well, there's different things. What I'm doing, the expireds, um, you know, where I can do an Excel sheet and I mail them. Um, I've kind of made some sort of letter that I've I've been mailing out. Um, and yeah, at the same time, I'm I'm still trying to figure figure this out too. Um, you know, I just need to get that one listing or that one buyer. Once I get that sale for the one like I'm negotiating now, I'm going to target that whole building for it just sold. A big website we use over here, which I was speaking to the Street Easy today, um, is called Street Easy. So pretty much after you sell in a building, you can claim uh, that building as far as that you just made that sale. And that's a huge website in Manhattan. So after you sell a couple of listings in that building, then you then you become the building's agent. So they advertise you here on Street Easy. Um, so that's really my idea and, and, and you know, networking and, and meeting, <coughs> excuse me, and meeting, you know, the right people. And um, over here in Manhattan, I feel it's a lot more word of mouth. There's a lot more socialization going on than in Queens. What's your motivation? What drives you? I just want it. You know, I just, I just want it. So when you say want it, what do you want? What, what are you trying to achieve? What's your goal? What's your big picture goal? Um, to have a huge penthouse apartment, apartment in Manhattan. Um, you know, just to be a top, top broker. I would like to work with, you know, the movie stars and the A-list people, big businessmen and women. Well, Teresa, with your drive, persistence, and determination, I feel confident you'll be a top broker again, living the good life in a penthouse on top of Manhattan and rubbing elbows with movie stars and top business people. You've already accomplished so much early in your career, and yet I know you're going to accomplish even more in your future. Thank you again for being our Rising Agent of the Month.
If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.